Today, I am with poet Gail Henney. Gail is the producer and host of the TV series, Right Now. She is also a former two-term poet laureate of North Andover. In 2021, she was the winner of the Haiga Poetry Contest of the Rockport Poetry Fest. Also in 2021, she was the featured poet for the Haverhill River Bard's Spring Series. Gail has edited poetry books, led poetry workshops in libraries, schools, galleries, and at the MA, also known as Massachusetts, Poetry Festivals. Welcome, Gail. Thank you, Agatha. A pleasure to be here. Oh, I'm so excited. Now, I have a few questions, and then we can listen to your poems. Good. Excellent. Okay. First question. Where, when, and how often do you write? Um, by way of explanation, I'd like to read you a poem. It's called No Time for Poetry, which is my way of saying that we really just have to make time for poetry, even though all our lives are filled with responsibilities and others' needs, and I consider poetry one of my needs. So... Um, if you'll indulge me, I'm going to read uh, No Time for Poetry. Okay. I need coffee. Gotta run to the bank before work. Pay credit card bills. Check emails. Better call mom. Trash bins go out. No clean socks. Mail mortgage check. Dry cleaning will have to wait. Something quick to take for lunch can't think about failure to pass the Build Back Better plan. Who will write the history of the pandemic and January 6th, 2021? Plan lunch and dinner for the kids. Will the babysitter show up? Something else? So that's my way of saying there's all these things that are happening both personally, internationally, nationally, and yet because of all those things, I must write about them because when something moves me, that's how I process it. And um, it's very cathartic for me. And that's a great poem. Thank I you. I like that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> now, how do you know when a poem is done? Or are they ever done? I usually feel when I think the poem is done, um, one of the ways that I like to check my poetry is to read it aloud because poetry is so much based on sound. And so that's one of the ways I get an early feeling. But I must tell you, like Paul Valere, who was a critic and an essayist and a poet himself, who was born in the 1800s, he said, poems are never finished only abandoned. Oh. And so for me, um, when I can't in my mind improve a poem anymore, then it's done. But every time I read a poem, I'm reading it also with an editor's eye and ear. And so even the poems that I was reading uh, as I prepared for this, I made changes. Wow. So. Um, they're really never done, but 
as long as they pass the ear test, they're, they're ready to go. I'm going to ask you an extra question, if you don't mind, <laughs> only because of something you said, that poetry depends so much on sound, yet most people read poetry. And I think when you're reading an anthology of poetry or something like that, you're not reading it aloud. What do you, how, how do you figure with reading and saying, or the sound of it? They're really different experiences. And so um, I just heard Joy Harjo, who is our current Poet Laureate, uh, she did a Zoom through a library consortium. And so I was listening to that. And I just loved hearing her work in her own words, because then you know where the inflections are. Then you know what really is meaningful to her. And... So sound is just so important. Also, um, there's a poet whom I like very much, Rena Espayat. Um, she's a Newburyport powwow poet. And she said that the dirty little secret about poetry is that it really wants to be music. <laughs> and so, it, you know, if you Ooh, have that yes. feeling... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then um, I'm not a musician, but I love music. And so um, the sound is very, very important. Yeah. Huh. Thank you. You're oh, welcome. I like an extra question. Do you call yourself a poet, or when did you start calling yourself a poet? Because you do call yourself a poet, I don't do. you? I um, do. Yes. When did I start? Mm, I've been writing poetry for over 30 years it's hard to know exactly, mm -hmm. um, but when I moved most recently, 25 years ago, um, to New England, um, I needed a poetry group because I think that um, I think criticism of your work, of my work, is helpful, and and so I like to always belong to a crit group. So I run one now myself, but when I first came, there wasn't one in my neighborhood. And so I started one. And when I did, people wanted to know who I was. And mm. so I became the poet. So they made you the poet. Um, I'd like to think it was uh, a multi-pronged happening. <laughs> Very nice. Unusual question, but what are some of your favorite words? Kaleidoscope is one. Ooh. Because, first of all, it's such an odd-sounding word. Kaleidoscope has a lot of syllables, hard to spell. But um, there is such a freedom in having that cylinder filled with odd shapes and colors. And you get to rotate it and make this artwork. And so... There's a lot of color there. And as you'll see in some of my poetry, I use color as a way of bringing my reader in because we all, we all know color. However mm -hmm. we perceive it, we all know color. Ah, but you asked for more than one. Oh, yeah. Okay, wait, <laughs> I can do that. The other one is opportunity. Opportunity. Because, you know, this idea now of living in America when I see what's happening in Ukraine, 
and so many have so little opportunity for safety, opportunity to me means a freedom, an ability to do what we need to do and hopefully what we want to do um, within the constraints very often of society. But um, that's another word that, that's resonated with me since childhood. Kaleidoscope and opportunity. Mm, nice words. What's the best piece of writing advice that you've ever heard? Maybe it didn't come to you, but you've heard it. Just right. Just right. Mm -hmm. Simple. Um, yes, and, and when I start my um, writing workshops, the whole idea is, you know, the white piece of paper or the computer screen, that can be very intimidating. But if you just tell people to put the pencil or the cursor on the screen or on the page and just write whatever comes to their mind without censoring stream of consciousness writing you may know it as, yes. then, then the fear factor can be diminished. And I think it's the fear factor that might slow some people down who have great things to say but are afraid to actually, actually do it. Just right. And what are you going to read to us today? I'm going to read a compilation of poems that um, are meaningful to me today. If you asked me yesterday, it might have been a different group of poems. Um, but I'm going to start with a poem called Jenga. And um, Jenga is a game. It's made of wooden blocks. And it came out of an experience um, in New England where I was going into a park with a group of friends. And this happened. And I don't, as a poet, I don't feel that what I write actually has to happen to me. But this particular poem came from something that did. So I'd like to read Jenga for you. Well sanded, the blocks are almost satin to the touch. Dwarfing a park's small table, they call us to play. Waiting our turns, some lounge in blue or red bean bags. Others eye broken windows and doors, sporting the flashy art of contemporary Toulouse-Lautrec. As locals gather round, each player selects a block, hoping as it's removed, the structure will stand. Teens drop their bikes edging closer. Elderly men who spend days, sometimes nights there, look on. The first 12 blocks are willingly moved to higher levels, the tower's integrity maintained. Jenny is next, her chic hat tilting over her face. While she's tapping her selection, one older onlooker, his baseball cap askew, hisses through missing front teeth. No, that won't work. You do it, she says, stepping back from the gently swaying column. Coming forward, 
he zeroes in on an unlikely block that effortlessly slips into his tobacco-stained fingers. Smiles radiating from young and old, he calls in victory. The neighborhood drunk had to show you how it's done. The, the next poem is um, a very recent poem of mine. It's entitled Baking, and it's a poem in two voices, which uh, for those who may not know, there are actually two columns on the page, and one column would normally be read by one person, alternating with a second individual. But I'm gonna fiddle around with my voice a little, and I believe you will have an idea both from the tone of my voice and also from what I'm saying, which person is speaking. And the poem again is entitled, Baking. Preheat oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Warmer temperatures over time. Mix two cups diced green tomatoes, two cups sugar, one cup vegetable oil, two eggs and one teaspoon of vanilla extract in a large bowl. Rising sea levels. Mix dry ingredients in a separate bowl. Three cups flour, one teaspoon cinnamon, one teaspoon baking soda, and one quarter teaspoon of baking powder. Droughts in more regions. Mix dry and wet ingredients together. Superstorms. Pour batter into prepared pans. Flooding. Bake one hour. More frequent wildfires. It's done when a toothpick comes out cleanly. People displaced. Full tomato bread. Climate change. And so this is a melding, as, as you heard, of what to do with all those green tomatoes from your raised garden beds uh, and make full tomato bread. And this was a recipe sent to me by my uh, adult daughter, who is a wonderful cook and a wonderful gardener. And I was thinking, you know, this whole idea of baking. The planet is baking. And that's how I came up with the idea of doing a poem in two voices. The next poem um, is entitled Alice, but it's an acronym. It's an acronym for what to do when there's an active shooter. And it's really um, a way to prepare. I have seen it done in public schools. This is about what happened in the technical school that I was visiting. Um, and it was such, a, such an experience to, to feel what was happening, to, to feel the fear, even though it was a drill. And the ALICE, the A-L-I-C-E, stands for alert, lockdown, inform, counter, and evacuate. And this is what your children um, are learning now in school, and it makes me sad. Alice, 
This is no fire drill. Lights are flashing. Shrill alarms reverberate through my skull as I lock the door. Students and I barricade it with a six-foot wooden bookshelf. We slide heavy client styling chairs to block the intruder's entry. Each of us grabs something to throw to startle the intruder should he get through the second locked door. My heart's racing. The constant ah, ah of the alarm and flashing lights raising my blood pressure. We hide in a dark laundry room. A nervous silence settling as we brandish whatever we've grabbed. Orange water bottle, backpack, textbook. Moments drag, my mind latching onto the mantra that reigns above our classroom. Every day is a gift. This doesn't feel like one. This is an Alice drill. We are practicing for a shooter in a technical school. Just practicing. But the reality of kids killed in Florida and Connecticut clouds my brain. Fear is real. And the next poem is a little lighter. It's called Blanketing the Sky. And it was an honoree in the Robert Frost Poetry Contest. Blanketing the Sky. We are feathered, black-gloved hands reaching out in supplication as wave after wave of our flocks follow the Merrimack River upstream. Raucous chatter, too, comes in waves as some of us swoop down to rest upon young river birches, change our minds, take flight again. Dusk's fading hints of pink become gunmetal grays outlining hundreds of our efficient black bodies blanketing the sky in search of a roost. Against the backdrop of Lawrence's red brick and mortar converted mills, we are signals of impending darkness, transient congregations without a god, our journey along the Merrimack reverberating with strident cries. And I am a sometime bird watcher, so this is a, about the hundreds and hundreds of crows that congregate in the river birches along the Merrimack River in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And it's just wonderful to see them as dusk is coming. They come out of nowhere and they fly up the river and they roost in these small river birches that sometimes are partially actually in the water if the level of the river is high. And especially in the winter when there are um, snow drifts and, and snow on the ground, there's this great contrast between the black mm. of the birds, uh, yes. the colors of the, of the sunset, which are spectacular or can be, and, 
and the snow. So um, it's really a pleasure. Mm. My next poem is called For Haley. And I'm not going to speak to where this poem, excuse me, is coming from. I'm going to let you decide. For Haley. The dogs are silently, strangely silent. Golden brown eyes wide as if disbelieving. Tails tucked. The click of their nails on the tile. The dogs are strangely silent. Women whispering between vases of pink roses. Among the ferns, Mary pale in her porcelain glow. The dogs are strangely silent. Overflowing dish drainer, buttery cakes clogging counters, coffee bewing, excuse me, coffee brewing, few will drink, piles of paper products. The dogs are strangely silent. Red-eyed friends, family hugging, tissues, lots of tissues, a crown of flowers in a Facebook page. The dogs are strangely silent. Someone's eating gingerbread as fingers fuss with plastic wrap, wrapping, unwrapping, rewrapping. The dogs are strangely silent. So many pale faces in a crowded home tasting disbelief. Um, this poem appeared in the Merrimack Mike Takes the Fifth, and it's their fifth anthology. And as you may hear, uh, it's a poem flavored with grief. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, in December of 2021, something called Light the Falls happened in Methuen, Massachusetts, on the banks of the Spicket River waterfall. And the great court poets, of which I'm a member, were invited to come and read our poetry against this background of the waterfall that had brilliant lights playing on it. Reds, blues, greens, magentas, yellow. And so that was the background for our reading, which was then made into a television program. But um, I'd like to share it with you today, and it's called Magenta Blue sunshine yellow. Magenta, blue, sunshine yellow, paint the Spicket River Falls with shimmering colored light. Who remembers from silence, excuse me, who remembers from science class that white light can be separated into its rainbow of colors, that each wavelength has the power to bring smiles to faces? A willingness to blot out the pandemic from our consciousness, to ponder beauty. Light is many things, warmth, the possibility of growth, the ability to see. Maybe this is light of fire made real, where we as spectators are moved to begin the new year with hope. Maybe this signals light at the end of the tunnel, where we come together as a people for each other, get vaccinated, share in the wonder and awe 
of being one people again. And I just have um, two more poems for you. This one is entitled Dawn, and I list an epigraph by Henry David Thoreau, which comes from Walden, and it is, and I quote, only that day dawns to which we are awake, unquote. And the title of the poem is Dawn. Dawn's orange glow illuminates remnants of apartment buildings made of cinder blocks reminiscent of the Great Pyramid of Giza's hand-carved stones. Back then, tombs of stone were built for Egypt's god kings. Secret booby-trap passages protected sacred bodies preserved for the next life. Today, the sun's light plays upon deaf and blind satellite dishes. Fragmented walls collapse roofs, rubble strewn streets. Children awake to another Ukrainian morn. And finally, this poem um, came out of an experience that I had because I am a rock hound. And a rock hound is someone who likes to collect rocks and minerals. And for me, the collecting is actually more important than what I find. And this experience um, was unexpected. I've never been on a rock hunting trip with a group before. And this was with the North Shore Rock and Mineral Club. Um, but I'd like to share it with you today. And it's called Should Have Known. Should have known by the broken window of the trailer. Chinese AK-47 fixed with duct tape leaning against it. Should have realized they would do whatever to pay bills. Squeezing into a GMC Sierra anyway. Six adults in the cab, two in the bed, perching on coolers, chisels, shovels, as we drive over a makeshift wooden bridge. Rebar, orange flagging tape waving in the wind, signaling the line to follow. Two inches at best between the edge and rocky ravine. Mud, eight inches deep ascending the mountain, driver gunning it again and again, no use. We get out, boots slashing through the mud, the barefoot driver chewing on his cigar, yelling, bitch, at the stump, slowing him down. We get back in, zooming up to the next morass. Me wondering if my herniated disc is pulverizing. I'm grabbing the old bruiser beside me as we hit another ditch in the unpaved, can't call it road, rocks, tree limbs thrown in gullies get us to the top. Manners evaporating, we're sweating, rethinking the decision to take the ride. For what? Smoky quartz crystals, beryl, the hope of digging up radioactive minerals? Rock hounds are nuts. 
I know I'm one of them. Thank you. Oh, Gail, thank you so much for that reading. That was just pulled at my heart. It was so intimate, but it brought in the whole world. And that's what's so cool. Thank you. I mean, there, there was humor, beauty, wisdom, <laughs> and of course that effervescent language. Thank you so much. Thank you. A, a pleasure to um, share my work with you and your audience. Thank you. Great. And as our guest, you have the final word. So is there one final thing you would like to say to everyone? I would like to empower people to read poetry, to write poetry. And if that's not your thing, read anyway. And when something moves you, share it. Because I think, especially as we are living still through part of the COVID-19 pandemic, it's the conversation. Since we possibly are still somewhat limited in touch, let's share with a voice. Let's be together.